Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. James Ziskin's Ellie Stone mystery series gives us genre fiction that's intelligent and entertaining in spades, and he's got a slew of awards to prove it. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and today Jim talks about his heroine, a hard-drinking, freewheeling, 20-something girl reporter turned investigator who carves out the life she wants for herself in upstate 1960s New York, regardless of the obstacles. Think Helen Gurley Brown meets murder, she wrote. But before we hear from Jim, just a reminder, the show notes for this binge reading episode are available at the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Jim's books and website, a full transcript with links of our discussions, and information on how to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Jim. Hello there, Jim, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hello, Jenny. I'm very happy to be here. Starting right at the beginning, you you had a very interesting career before you became a full-time writer. So was there a particular catalyst that made you think, I'd like to change what I'm doing and sit down and write a book? Well, it, it, I think that that goes back to my personal history. Uh, I've actually always wanted to be a writer. Um, I published my first book, Sticks and Stone, at the age of 53, which is, seems to be quite late. But I wrote my first novel when I was 12. And, um, and I wrote another novel a few years later, and then another one in, in grad school. And um, uh, the um, what happens in life is that you get a job or you have your studies and you put things off when you wish you hadn't. So, so that's what happened to me. The catalyst really goes way back uh, to, to my, you know, tender youth. And um, it just took a long time and I needed to, to get better and I needed to do things and, and I needed to stop being lazy, that kind of thing. Um, so that's what, what prompted me to finally say, um, you know, let, I want to really attack this writing thing was, you know, I was in my, I was approaching 50 and I just said, well, if I don't do it now, when will I do it? So, um, you know, I got on my horse and I finished, uh, finished a book and started sending it out to agents and, uh, managed to, to, uh, snag an agent with, with that book. Uh, he never sold it, but he has sold the uh, six, sorry, seven since then for me, uh, all in the Ellie Stone uh, mystery series. It's fantastic. So those first, uh, the first trial books, you didn't attempt to get those published? The, um, the first book was, I mean, when I was 12, it was just a terrible, awful book that a 12-year-old would write. But it was, it was long enough to be a book. It just was not very good. And the second one, the same. The third one was a huge, these were historical novels, by the way. Um, I started out with a great interest in history. So the third one was a big uh, historical set in Paris during World War II. Um, and I never 
managed. It wasn't. It was better, but it wasn't good enough. So uh, at that point, I was you know in my mid to late twenties, and I I you know started embarking on a career, and so the writing did take a back seat for for many years, and um, um, a few years, but uh, maybe ten years after that, I I started to to be interested in writing mysteries. So I um, worked on on a couple that were good enough to get an agent, but never were sold. Uh, back in the '90s, early '90s. So uh, and then it just took uh, it took you know the career takes over and you know you move to a new city and you get married and things just get in the way. So it was many years later that I finally said I've got to go back to this. I've always wanted to be a writer. And that's when I that's when I wrote the Ellie Stone, uh, the Sticks and Stone. That's great. And that particular book, how long did that take you to do? Oh, probably the first books always take longer. I'd say probably three years. And I've been thinking about it for many years, and even starting, you know, in fits and starts uh, to to write it. So, uh, but now it's uh, you know I don't have that luxury, and I think most many writers have a similar um, um, experience especially if you're writing a series that after the first one you you've got to start churning them out a little faster so i'm on a pace right now of, of and it's a comfortable pace i i suppose for me uh, i wish sometimes i had more time to do it but i'm on a pace of about one of one book a year uh-huh right so talking about ellie i think we've seen six ellie books now haven't we you, you've had six published i know you're working on more but um the sixth is coming out in june june of 2018 yeah yeah i'm very excited about that one too oh great so your your hero your heroine is ellie in her early 20s referred to often by others in the book as a girl reporter because obviously she can't be a woman if she's not married um in a local newspaper in upstate new york it's the early 60s I must confess, from my point of view, having the early 60s regarded as historical is is a little sort of daunting. She drinks lots of whiskey. She's sexually liberated even in those pre-pill times. She's smart and sassy. What attracted you to this time period and this character? That's basically where I'm going with this. Yeah, I am always interested in transporting my transporting readers to another time and place because that's what I like to happen to me when I'm reading so I always you know started for example writing uh, historical novels even when I was young um, I was always interested in that uh, I settled on that period for a variety of reasons first because for the first book um, I needed a time period that was about 15 years removed from the end of World War Two, uh, for one of the subplots in the book, so so 1960 ended up being the the category. It's funny because you mentioned historical. By all of the um, the uh, the awards in our industry, they tend to to uh, draw the line at uh, before 1960. It qualifies oh, that's as historical. Do they? Yeah. Oh, that's oh, that's But I think that moves yeah. that that does move every ten years. So I think in two years it will move to 1970. But um, 1970. But uh, but I was fortunate enough. Uh, not all of these um, awards uh, adhere to that because this year I did manage to to win the McCavity Award for the best historical um, for uh, Heart of Stone, and that was set in the summer of 1961. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
So anyway, I, the, the reason I chose that period was for that, but also the, another major reason is because I, when I kind of hit on the idea of writing this character, I wanted her to face challenges that, say, a male detective would not face. And she faces these every day. And the challenge is when she goes to work, they think of her as she's the girl reporter, give her the story on the uh, social pages, for the social pages, or for, you know, the wedding announcements or the birth announcements, the garden parties, that kind of thing. And she wants to do the murder stories, as even though they're fairly rare, but that's what she wants to do. And uh, so that worked very well, that time period, especially, you know, this was this was before the the the, the feminist movement really got got going, and before uh, the civil rights movement really started making inroads before the sexual revolution. Although I always point out that in 1962, Helen Gurley Brown's *Sex and the Single Girl* was published. So, I'm, Ellie is not that much of an outlier. It's just that we we tend to regard that era as, oh, that was a very chaste time and, and women did not end up in bed with, with a man. Um, you know, they saved themselves for marriage, something like that. But uh, I, I think that that's kind of a, a myth. And um, there were plenty of, as witnessed by the Helen Gurley Brown book, there were plenty of, quote, modern girls, unquote, uh, as Ellie describes herself. Sure, it was, it, it's a real... Um time of a collision of cultures, isn't it? Because the 50s is sort of carrying over a little bit with the idea that a woman can only be fulfilled in the home, clashing against all these women who've got other ideas. So she's not campaigning for women's rights, as you say, but as the series progresses, maybe that she's not going to be able to continue to be completely unaware of the movement, is she, as, as the 60s progress. So that's going to be an interesting development for you later on. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's just right now uh, she, she, wants a, a, she wants a job. She wants an interesting job. She's not blazing trails, at least not consciously. Um, and, and I think that if we are fair about it and, you know, we we shouldn't put too much pressure on this character to to be at the vanguard and say, you know, I, I'm going to fight for something that nobody else is really fighting for yet. Um, you know, people grow up in their, you know, in their, not cocoons, but in their, uh, you know, their own worlds. And, and it, you know, she, she has ambition, but, and she grew up in a very cultured and educated family. But even there, I mean, the, there's plenty of, you know, misogyny going around uh, at that time, even in, you know, in, on all sides of the political spectrum, even among educated people, it's still going on. It still goes on in Hollywood. It goes on in academia. It's everywhere. So um, Ellie is, she, she is kind of driven by her own desire without necessarily seeing it yet as a larger, you know, movement or struggle. Sure, the vocabulary has hardly been invented yet, has it? I mean, I, I, I did check back when the Betty Friedan book came out, and it was 63. So, um, yeah, there's... The, um, yeah, the, I'm sorry, the, uh, oh, the Betty Friedan, yeah. I was I was referring to uh, the Helen Gurley Brown, which is not <laughs> not yeah. exactly the same. Uh, are you talking about the, no. the female... No, no, yeah, I'm aware of the Helen Gurley yeah. Brown yeah. one as yeah. well, which was very much more just a gal... Yeah. Making her way in the big smoke, kind of. But thing, indicative, um, indicative of, of, you know, what was happening socially uh, at the time. There were girls, and Ellie is from New York City. Remember, originally. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 
So not from this small town, yeah. And we, we obviously we've got Cosmopolitan there too, so yeah, yeah. Mm. So I gather that some of your readers have objected to Ellie's sexual freedom, perhaps even more than her freedom with uh, consuming alcohol. And at least in the first book, I've seen a little bit of comment online that some some readers were a bit resistant to that at the beginning. That's true, and and um, not. I am perplexed because I, you know I don't I don't believe in that uh, uh, that that there is one type of woman at any time or any point in history. Um, you had you know there there have always been of both sexes people of loose morals. Let's call it. Although Ellie is a very moral person, it's just it's her own her own morality that she she feels uh, you know is is works for her. Yeah, I don't understand when people um, criticize. Well, I understand if it, if it's out of a sympathy or a caring for her and worrying for her, uh, getting into these, you know, like it, it, doing too much drinking or falling into bed with the wrong man. But um, you know, there there were, especially uh, you know, again, I keep pointing to that same book, but uh, there, that you can look at Mad Men too. I mean, not that Mad Men isn't uh, fiction, but. Uh, you know, there were certainly uh, liberated in that regard or, you know, women at that time. So, yeah, it seems to have calmed down after the first book. Um, yeah. The, that, that kind of criticism. And maybe people were getting to know the character. I often think about it, you know, when you see a new television show, uh, and, and I'm probably guilty of this. Maybe you, you, you don't do the best job introducing the character or people aren't used to the character yet. So they... they they latch on to something to to criticize in that sense, but um, it seems to have, um, you know, more or less gone away. And as a matter of fact, for the first time in Cast the First Stone, the fifth book in Hollywood, uh, Ellie doesn't sleep with anybody, <laughs> and she has plenty of offers from men and women. So. <laughs> yes, and I found that one interesting because you did tackle the this beginnings of the gay gay movement there so that was another strong one perhaps just going back to your research I was curious to know if you have any women in your circle even your family circle who were young women of Ali's age in 1960 and whether you talk to them about their own experiences possibly even your mum or aunties or just close family friends was there anyone like that or was it all done more as a historical research um, project? I think that um, a lot of the uh, ideas for Ellie were shaped, in my mind, by uh, experience with, say, you know, observing my mother. Not that she uh, necessarily behaved the way <laughs> the way uh, Ellie does in her private life, but my mother was a, a medical doctor. She um, she was born in 1929, so she'd be about eight years older than Ellie. But um, she, she went and, and uh, earned her medical degree. And, um, and at a time when, I mean, it was certainly done, but it was not the, the common thing. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I, I've always admired strong women, and strong doesn't mean necessarily, you know, violent, because God knows Ellie is the least imposing physical specimen um, that you would probably find in, in among detectives out there, most detectives in, in fiction. 
Um, she doesn't win because she beats beats up the bad guy or, or she doesn't know how to carry a gun or shoot a gun. So uh, she gets by on her wits and on her charm. And, and um, so, uh, but over the years, you know, just uh, I've had, you know, women as bosses, as, you know, friends. And I just, had, I, so what I was trying to do was take an amalgam of, uh, of really the qualities that I most admire uh, in, in women that I've known uh, and, and kind of put them together into this one package called Ellie Stone. And also, I wanted to obviously pepper it with, uh, you know, some flaws as well, because, uh, you know, nobody, nobody is interested in a, in a perfect, perfect character. They, they become boring, I think. So, yeah. I like when people say, oh, I worry about Ellie. And I do have readers who sometimes say that. Um, and, yeah. and, um, and I think, well, then that's a good thing if they worry about her. That means that they, that they like her, hopefully. Totally. I mean, my own feeling about it is that I'm just, I am a little worried about her tendency to use alcohol to self-medicate. And I sort of hope that by the time she's 30, she, she pulls herself up and says to herself, maybe I need to cut back on this just a little, you know. But that's, you could, it's because you've got, you're invested in the character. Yeah. Well, I certainly understand that, that uh, feeling. Uh, and, and it's true, and I know you know some people have even one or once or twice I've heard people say, "Well, it's kind of a, a commonplace or a cliche to have your detective have a drinking problem," but that's because it's so common in society, I think, and that's why we do see it. And make no you know make no mistake, Ellie is an alcoholic. I mean, she is um, what what we now call a high functioning alcoholic, and that's really part of the problem is that that she holds her liquor really well. That doesn't mean it's not good for her. I mean that doesn't mean that it's that it is good for her. It's not, and um, and I I agree. I mean nobody can continue on a pace like that probably, uh, you know, for for too long. Uh, so, you know, there is unfortunately I think I I can't go to the title Stone Cold Sober because I've already <laughs> done Stone Cold Dead. Um, but I mean maybe one could. But uh, if if Ellie one day decides to kick the habit, I've also started to tone down her smoking but not out of any you know not for any reason other than she's starting to say i mean she still is smoking as most people did back then but uh but uh in this latest book that i've just finished uh she's walking with someone and he offers her a cigarette and she says no it it, it you know i get out of breath if i'm if i smoke and walk at the same time so we're trying to have her maybe clean up some of her bad habits. And she's getting smarter as she gets older, too. So now she's, I think, about 20, she'd be 25, 26 in this latest book. So, um, And she's definitely more confident in her um, detecting or in her investigative, uh, you know, uh, skills as well. You get the feeling that if even if she wasn't a reporter, the thing I really love about her is her total incorrigible curiosity. She's always going to ask questions and analyze what's happened and think that that doesn't that doesn't hang together that doesn't ring true so yeah and one of her common one of her common uh, uh, you know lines I would say or not plot lines is somebody will will try to distract her from answering the question by losing their temper or something like that and then Ellie immediately once the person calms down goes right back to the same question and always she observes to herself if he thought I was not going to ask him the question again he was sorely mistaken so yeah she she wants the answers yeah 
So when you started with uh, Sticks and Stones, did you have a series in mind? Yes, definitely. Um, I wasn't, I don't know how clear I was on on all of the details of the series, but just the, the title itself, I mean, it, a, a big part of it, uh, of picking her name, was also to, to have some continuity and some thematic, uh, you know, uh, link among all the titles. So, in this, in these, in in the case of these books, it's it's uh, you know a common expression with stone, and you know hopefully it can have a double or even a triple meaning that works for the book. Um, Sticks and stone is the one where I kind of that's the only one where I've changed the uh, the uh, the expression from just your common sticks to the river sticks, but uh, the others are all. Um, the actual, you know, they're portions of actual common expressions, uh, and not just word phrases like, um, you know, stoned or something like, you know, um, somebody suggested I do one about Woodstock and call it stoned. But, the, you know, that's not, that's not the same as cast the first stone, in my opinion, in terms of, you know, that, that's a, that's an, a well-known expression or you know so so the next book is a stone's throw and then uh the following book seven is supposed to be turned to stone um but that might end up being etched in stone i i i'm not uh totally decided on the title of that of that one yet sure it's really interesting to me you had a, a a strong academic career with degrees in linguistics and literature, but you've chosen genre fiction as your um, area. And you've talked about this and said you see no reason why a book can't be intelligent and entertaining at the same time. And certainly, Ellie Stone series must be one of the most literate genre series that there's ever been. Do you still feel the need to defend the genre fiction space? Uh, I, I don't. I, I if people have a problem with genre fiction, be it romance, science fiction, fantasy, or mystery or thriller, that's their problem. I love it. I just think that they're great books, they're great stories, and great writers. You know, I, I you I mentioned Graham Greene um, as one. You know, or uh, who who believed in writing. I think he called them his entertainments. The 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 ones that were that were a little you know, more popular, although I loved all of his, all of his work. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, Joyce Carol Oates, she writes mysteries basically today. Uh, Umberto Eco, The Name of the Rose, it's a mystery. And it's a fantastic mystery. And it's very intelligent. And it's, you know, something I could only dream of uh, aspiring to. But uh, I make no excuses for our genre. It's popular. And I, and I think there's good and bad writing in, in our genre, and the good and the great writing is just, those are wonderful things to, to read for me. And I have no, no problem bragging that I write murder mysteries. Sure. I mean, the good and bad could, could really apply to literary work as well. I mean, some of it is just plain pretentious. So, um, you know, it's good to keep your feet on the ground, I think. Yeah. And, I've, and listen, you, you mentioned my, my academic background. I mean, I studied a lot of, you know, really so-called great books. And some of them were great, and some of them I found boring, and that's what makes a horse race, you know. Um, and and some of them were mysteries, as I said. It's it's a it's a genre that that 
that a lot of literary writers like to explore at some point in their careers as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, turning perhaps from the books to just talking a little bit more wide, more widely about your career, is there one thing you've done in your writing more than any other that you see as being the secret to your success? I, I would have to say the one thing that I did was not give up. And the second thing that I did was really did try to get better. You know, that people used to say, oh, you have to live a certain amount before you can be a writer because you have to experience things. And some people managed to, to, to avoid that somehow. Uh, I was not one of them. I think I did need that life experience and that maturity, maturity that finally came. Um, I, and I'm, I like to think that I'm maturing and getting better every year still. But um, that, that was important for me. I was not a good enough writer. There, were, there might have been little flashes in my 12-year-old manuscript where you'd say, wow, for a 12-year-old, this is pretty good. But, and when I was in college and wrote my second book, there might have been parts that were maybe interesting. But the, but the total, the, um, the, the entirety of these books really, the, the quality just wasn't there, obviously. And even the third book, um, the, the fourth and the fifth. So it, it, I have a theory that, that for some writer, well, there's a number of poor words that one has to write out of his or her system before you start writing better prose. And, um, and that number is obviously different for everyone. I think somebody once might have said, something similar and said it was like a million words. But I, I think that, you know, maybe four or five hundred thousand words um, is, an, is a pretty good sample to, 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 you know, kind of rid yourself of the bad writing and start to really improve. Oh, that's a great idea. I haven't heard of that one before, but it certainly gives the rest of us hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are some, there are some writers who hit it out of the park on the first, uh, on the first book, and we hate those people. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, if you were going to organise a magical mystery literary tour for Ali Stone, where would you send people? She she has moved to Hollywood in, in the um, recent book, so she's moved out of upstate New York. But where would you send people? Well, she she was temporarily in obviously for the story, uh, but um, and she's back in that upstate town. But I'm but I'm very conscious about, and this will answer your question. Very conscious about that location because we all know Jessica Fletcher and Murder She Wrote. And she lives in that little tiny town of Cabot Cove, Maine. And there's a murder there seemingly every week. So, and it's this tiny little town. So what I want to do, and I think other writers try to avoid this as well, although we can suspend our disbelief and just say, fine, there's another murder in this small town. But I wanted to avoid that and try to create a sense of kind of realism in, in the series. We, It's not really realistic. No, None of our fiction... Uh, our, uh, of our um, crime fiction, I think, is particularly realistic. I don't care, even in the police p procedurals. Police, a police story is usually, you know, they know who the, the murderer is in 90% of the cases. The rest of them, it's, you know, okay, then, then it becomes a, a mystery and a challenge. But how many detectives have, you know, dozens or, you know, 10 or 20 of those cases in their career? It's, we do suspend our disbelief. 
even more so with with uh, with an amateur sleuth or with a sleuth that's in a different uh, um, uh, profession. But uh, so for for her career for her mystery tour. Uh, magical mystery tour, I would say, uh, well, she was born in New York City, as I mentioned, in lower Manhattan, uh, just off Washington Square. So that's a really great place to start, um, just to visit Washington Square and uh, lower Fifth Avenue where she grew up. Um, I I wouldn't advise necessarily trying to visit New Holland, um, which is a a fading mill town, a small mill town in upstate New York, a former titan of of, of industry for for the carpeting business, uh, they really was a powerhouse little place. By the way, it's a fictionalized version of my hometown, New Holland, uh, which was and my hometown was Amsterdam, New York. Uh-huh. Um, but what was funny, I remember my first contract um, for um, for this book. I believe there was something about um, well, we should retain the uh, theme park rights. It was part of the boilerplate, and I was thinking, what kind of theme park would you make in a place like New Holland, New York? It just would, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, you know, about 30,000 people. It's a very industrial, gritty town. It's a very beautiful area, but the uh, the town itself was, you know, they made they made carpets there, and it was a big carpet mill town and some other, some other industries as well. So that was just kind of funny. But you mentioned Hollywood. The Hollywood tour would be uh, an interesting one. Uh, my latest book that's coming out in June um, is um, is set very near New Holland, but it's in Saratoga Springs, New York, which is a, a magnificent, uh, they have a magnificent horse racing season, thoroughbred uh, meet in August every year. And it's been there for 100 and, um, 160, 150 years now. And it's a beautiful track and it's one of the nicest uh, thoroughbred venues uh, in, in, in America. And so Saratoga would be a very interesting uh, place. It's an old spa town where people would go to take the waters. Uh, not anymore, but uh, you can still get a smelly uh, glass of something coming out of a pipe, uh, you know, in, in a, out of a spring somewhere. And uh, book seven um, is scheduled to be Florence, Italy. So oh, Ellie's yeah. father was a famous uh, professor of Italian and of literature. And... Um, so I've kind of contrived to have her um, go to Florence to and accept a posthumous award for him. Oh, cool. That's so wonderful. And that'll be fun. Yeah. I suspect that there is a possibility that you could advance her to career, her career to a metropolitan New York uh, paper sometime. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up. I, I've been struggling without discussing that with my agent, with some of my uh, closest uh, readers, um, including my own father, who lives in that little town still, who says, "Get her the hell out of that town." <laughs> so, and so I'm thinking of thinking very much so of a return to Manhattan yeah. for Ellie. Yeah. And I was thinking, I know you have this experience of you know magazine and 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 that kind of writing. I thought with her camera, she could maybe start doing features or something more interesting than this local news that she has to. You know the potholes and the town hall meetings yeah, and things yeah, like that. Totally, but she you know you pe- pepper that just to make it interesting. Sorry, you an early photojournalist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although she's not a great photographer, but she, you know, she's okay. Yeah, yeah. 
Jim, we're starting to run out of time. So just turning to you as a reader, we, we do call this the joys of binge reading. And that's partly to just acknowledge this since ebooks have come in, this tendency for people, the Netflix of reading, to, to discover an author and want to read everything they've written. And they can do that so easily with ebooks. Have you been a binge reader in the past? And, and perhaps writing now, you don't have so much time. But if you're binge reading, who are your favourites? Well, I certainly have in the past. And, you know, thinking of some, certainly all of the, um, all of the, the golden age uh, writers in our genre, um, you know, from, from Chandler to, to Agatha Christie to Dorothy L. Sayers, you know, I just kind of devoured all of those. Then there was, there were writers like I mentioned Graham Greene. I've read everything, uh, everything he wrote. I read them kind of in quick succession. I loved reading um, Frederick Forsyth um, and um, trying to think. Oh, um, George MacDonald Fraser. Just as just as an example as a, of, a, of historical novels. When I read, finally read one. Um, I just I've got to read them all. And uh, today I it, well I've just finished uh, you know working on book seven, the, A Stone's Throw. And, and when I'm in that mode, it's several months of just kind of laser focus and not having much time to read too much of, of, of other things. But, um, you know, I read uh, friends and colleagues' books uh, that I admire very much. Recently, um, it's not really binging yet because there are only two of them, but there's a writer named Jennifer Kinchlow, K-I-N-C-H-E-L-O-E, and she writes this historical series, mystery series set in 1907-1908 Los Angeles. And it's just so charming and so well done. Her latest is called The Woman in the Camphor Trunk, C-A-M-P-H-O-R. Oh, yes. Uh, and it's set in Chinatown in Los Angeles in 1908. And she's hilariously funny. But the books are serious. But the, her character is just wonderful. Anna Blank is her name. Um, and so I, I love reading those. And another series that I've read recently uh, that is really just a beautiful collection, and it's, there are three of them now, and the fourth one is coming out. These are the books by Christine Carbo, C-A-R-B-O, and they're set in, um, in Glacier National Park in Montana. So I love reading, maybe you can see, a little bit all over the map. So the, the National Park kind of becomes the main character in her books and it's the unifying character throughout these in her series but christine carbo uh the latest was the weight of night and that's weight as in heavy weight yes the weight of night yeah. and just just beautiful writing great books fantastic fantastic um i picked up your you reviewed jennifer on a blog i think and, and i thought she mm. sounded great yes yeah yeah it was a wonderful book really mm. it is mm. And the first one is as well, The Secret Life of Anna Blank, uh, yeah. or Anna Blanc, if we want to say. But um, yeah, highly recommended. Great. Look, at this stage in your career, if you were doing it all again, what would you change, if anything? Well, I mentioned earlier that it took me a long time, longer than I wish. I wish I could have, you know, found the maturity and maybe the discipline to, to write something good. 10 years earlier than, than I managed to, that would have been nice. <laughs> uh, 
But um, at the same time, you know, there have been advances that certainly help, too. Um, it makes it a lot easier today. And, well, it's a lot more competitive, too, with, with email and, you know, that kind of, you know, you can query an agent, you can submit to a publisher, you can do it in an instant rather than, than you know, spending all the money to make copies and then send it, go down to the post office. So, so those things help me a lot. And research certainly um, you know, with the with the internet now, it is so much easier to find information rather than, you know, always having to wait for the library to be open, for example. So, in many ways, I guess 10 years earlier still wouldn't have worked for me. <laughs> so, we yeah, just take it as yeah, it comes. Yeah. And um, and I'm not complaining. That's right. It's, it's the best job in the world. So, what is next for Jim the writer? I think we you, you've got a good number of Ellie Stone books ahead of you, haven't you? Yeah, I think I still have five, four, five good titles left. Uh, and then, not that the series has to stop necessarily, but I'd have to stretch, uh, you know, the, maybe the scrimp a little bit on the quality of the title. Um, and some just are eliminated because they're, they have too many other connotations. Like, like a Rolling Stone, uh, or a Rolling Stone gathers no moss. It's just a little too long, for example. And I can't just say a Rolling Stone mm. because the the popular connotation of that today uh, is is just too strong. I think. Um, but but there are still some good ones. Sink like a stone. Uh, I mentioned uh, etched in stone or carved in stone. One of those uh, um, turned to stone. There, there there are several left. So I, I have a little bit of wiggle room for now. But I also want to uh, to I, I'm working on a couple of more traditional type thriller ideas, uh, not, not exactly the, the uh, adrenaline-fueled um, uh, thrillers that, that are out there today, the high-tech thrillers. I, I, still like, I still would like to set them, I think I have a, in mind a thriller set in India in the 1970s, and, uh, and it would be kind of a stranger in a strange land type uh, story. And that's what I want to do as soon as possible. But now I'm, I've got a contract for this book seven for Ellie, so I want to obviously, obviously, I have to write that first. This was an unscripted question, but it, it occurred to me. Obviously, is Ellie attracting any interest as a TV series or film series? Um, well, you know, you always hope. Uh, I do have a, there, I have an agent in Hollywood who is who is uh, trying to shop it around, but the odds are so long on that. Um, um, you yeah. know, hopeful, because it would it would give me, I think, more freedom to write more. Um, not necessarily yeah. that, you know, okay. Sue Grafton, who just passed away, um, she was, you know, adamant that she never wanted her Alphabet series to be made into TV or, or movies. So, and, and I feel mm. that a little bit, I mean, I understand that as well. I don't, I don't, think that novels need to be validated necessarily by being made into into a movie or a TV show but it's it's, it's a, if it's a good story it's a good story so there's not necessarily anything I have against that I would I would love it for the financial benefits and you know to allow me to to uh, write you know with again with more freedom that would be great and it would be kind of cool yeah. to see if it were done right yeah yeah. If it were done right, I think it would be a fascinating series. I, I think probably small screen and, and you know, six that's, or eight That's what I always felt would yeah. be perfect. I don't think it would work as each book as a movie. I don't think you have enough time to 
develop the the story mm. and the characters. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we're coming to a close then. It's been marvellous talking to you. Tell me, where can readers find you if they want to look up Ali or follow through with anything that we've discussed? Where is the best place for them to find you? We will have a full transcript of this conversation on the Joys of Binge Reading podcast, but your own website and other social media details. My website is jameswziskin.com. That's James. It's all one word, James, W for the middle initial, and Ziskin is Z-I-S-K-I-N.com. And uh, you can find it at Barnes & Noble, at Amazon. Um, if you just put in the last name, they'll show up. So, uh, Ziskin. Uh, so, yeah, and, it, and um, at least in North America, they're in most bookstores, um, larger bookstores, I'd say. Um, not quite a bestseller, but, uh, you know, they, they, you can find them in Barnes & Noble stores and in independent bookstores. You'd be interested to know you can find them in the Auckland Public Library, too. I, I see that. I, I, I don't believe you would find them necessarily in bookstores, but I, I know that in New Zealand and Australia... Um, there are quite a few copies of my books in libraries, yeah. Mm, yeah, it's been good from my point of view. They're also e-books, so I can call mm-hmm. them up at midnight, which is, you know, the old binge reading thing working. <laughs> sure, and you don't even need a light because your screen. Yeah. <laughs> Look, lovely to talk to you today, Jim, and all the very best with your future writing. We look forward to coming installments. Thank you, Jenny. I had a wonderful time chatting with Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.